0: Well, good morning. My name is Stuart McRae of the Joy of Serving on Staff, and the joy Bring you God's Word this morning. If you will turn to 3 John, we're going to be preaching from uh, this letter. We're going to preach this letter, we're going to look at this letter this morning, and this actually concludes our look at John's letters. We, we worked through 1 John. Pastor Doug uh, taught 2 John last Sunday, and so we're going to do... 3 John this morning. While you are turning there, oh, if, if you're new to your Bible and you're flipping, if you go all the way to the end, you're looking this way, all the way to the end, and you do a U-turn two books, then you're going you're gonna to find it. So Revelation, U-turn, two books, 3 John. Um, two, two things. One, uh, preview of coming attractions. Next week, we are going to start preaching through 2 Thessalonians, and then after that, we'll look at 2 Peter. Why? Well, a couple of years ago, we did 1 Thessalonians, and a couple of years before that, we did 1 Peter. So now we're going to hit the seconds. Um, if you are here for the Thessalonians sermon, then you got a scripture journal, and you already have 2 Thessalonians. If you didn't, then there are some journals on the Welcome Center. You don't have to get one of these. They're, they're five bucks, though, but we... we we put them out here for every series. Gives you the text on one side and a place to do notes on the other. So you're welcome to do that. It's right there on the Welcome Center. When we get closer to uh, Second Peter, we'll do the same thing with that. Second, home groups. We, we, we are a church of home groups uh, because people, we meet in people's homes. Uh, it's more geographically oriented. But we do home groups so that we can take our large congregation and meet in small groups to live out the one another's together. Every group more or less is consisting of the same thing, fellowship, prayer, and looking into God's word. And it's, it's a further look at the sermons that we're preaching on Sunday morning for a bit of better understanding, but primarily application. And I would love to encourage you towards our home group ministries. You can see where they're all located online, gbclorton.com/slash. Home groups. If you have a question about home groups, though, I'd love to be able to talk to you or Pastor Bob or Doug Wood too. So, just want to encourage you towards home group ministries. Those are going to be starting back up here soon. A lot of them are kind of take a little bit more of a break during the summer, but starting in earnest here um, in September. Third, John, as image bearers, you know what? We're going to read the whole letter first. That's what we're going to do. Third John starting with verse 1 The elder to the beloved Gaius whom I love in truth Beloved I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it is as it goes well with your soul for I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in the truth I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. As image bearers of God, we are created to reflect God. R- reflecting, imaging, imitating God is just the way that we were created. It's the way that we're designed. We're, we're to imitate God, and yet because of sin, because of our fallenness, we, we don't do that very well, if, if at all. To be sure, apart from God saving us, making us new creations, we, we will only ever imitate things that are lesser than God. Now, for those whom God has saved, we, we have the mind of Christ and indeed our, our, our mind is being renewed to imitate the good, to imitate God. It's interesting, Paul describes discipleship, helping others follow Jesus. Paul describes discipleship in terms of imitation. In 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he says, be imitators of me as I imitate Christ, You see, for Paul, discipleship was about helping others imitate Jesus as he imitated Jesus. Every one of us reflecting, imaging, imitating. The question is not, are you? The question is, who or what are you imitating? Then. Of course, the problem is sin. Right? For, for, the, for the unbeliever, the, the, the hard heart is like the broken satellite that just doesn't receive the signal well. And for Christians, leftover and dwelling sin, the remaining sin in our hearts is still bent towards imitating things that are lesser than God. We, we need God's help as disciples of Jesus to imitate the good, to imitate God. And, and in his kindness, he not only empowers us to do that, but he also gives us examples to imitate. And so in 3 John, we see three examples of walking in the truth so we would not imitate evil but good. Now, before we look at these examples, let's just kind of get our, our bearings on this letter. This, this, this is the shortest letter in the Bible. Now, maybe that's interesting to you because it actually has two more verses than 2 John, but it has fewer words. So this is the shortest letter. And you just saw, we, we read all of it through in just mere minutes. Uh, this is the shortest letter in the Bible. But similar to 2 John, because it's so short, you can kind of get a feel that it's a letter. You can quickly see the, an introduction and a body and a closing like we would think about letters today. This is a letter. We, we have intercepted ancient mail, as it were. Second, and John were written roughly into the same uh, situation. And there are probably even follow-ups to 1 John. 2 John was written to a church and its members, probably a particular house church within Ephesus. And 3 John, also written to probably a house church in Ephesus, but written to one man named Gaius. Now, the warning of 2 John was do not show hospitality to deceivers, false teachers. Where the problem in 3 John is that there is someone not showing hospitality to fellow Christians, to sent missionaries by the apostle John. And so like 2 John, 3 John could be summed up in the word hospitality. Now, regarding Gaius, He's most likely a leader in the church uh, because he received this letter. It's, it's interesting. There's a couple of folks in this letter, and we only know them because of this one letter. But John thought Gaius was important enough to send him this letter. The other thing that we get for about Gaius in this letter is that he, uh, John received a good report from him from his sent missionaries. His sent missionaries went and visited Gaius. Gaius received them. And then when they left, they went back to John to give a report, a testimony about all that they experienced from Gaius. So on one hand, John wrote this letter to Gaius to encourage him and thank him for his hospitality to his sent missionaries. On the other hand, John wrote Gaius to warn him about a man named Diotrephes. Diatrephes did not accept, welcome, show hospitality to John's sent missionaries because he did not accept John's apostolic authority. Diatrephes is also probably now some sort of rogue leader within one of these house churches and because as we'll see, John also sent him a letter, and Diatrephes rejected that letter, rejected John's missionaries, rejected John's apostolic authority. Finally, John wrote to Gaius to commend Demetrius. Demetrius is probably the guy who actually carried this letter to John. So maybe we could say John wrote to Gaius to to shore up and marshal his support for the spread of the gospel. Now, there's just one main command in this letter. It's seen in verse 11. Let's go ahead and read it. Beloved, do not Imitate evil, but imitate good. Gaius was to not imitate Diatrephes, but he was to imitate good and to continue being an example to others to imitate. John goes on in verse 11 to add theological re, uh, reasoning behind one's imitation. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. This is very similar to what John said in 1 John 2.27. Everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. And then also in 1 John 3.6, no one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. See, everyone who imitates good Proves they're from God, and everyone who imitates evil proves they have not seen God yet with the eyes of faith. It's said that Scripture is written for us, but not to us. So this letter was written to Gaius, but it was written for our instruction. And although Gaius was not to be an example for himself, He becomes one for us. And so in this passage, we see three examples of walking the truth, two commendable examples and one condemnable example so we would not imitate evil but good. So the first commendable example that we see is Gaius, and John speaks of him in the first eight verses. Let's start with verse one. The elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Truth here." And twice in verse 3 and once in verse 4 is a noun, not a verb. It's not an action. It's a thing. It's the truth of Jesus Christ and his gospel. Even beloved communicates to guys that you are the loved one of Christ. Brothers and sisters, there is a special kind of love that only the people of God can, can share with one another because it's love in truth. Let's go on to verse two. Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul for or, or because. And here's the reason John knew it went well with Gaius' soul. I rejoiced greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth as indeed you are walking in truth. The truth. I think the Christian Standard Bible might get this clear in its translation of verse 3 when it says, For I was very glad when the fellow believers came and testified to your fidelity to the truth, how you are walking in the truth. Geist's fidelity, his faithfulness to the truth of Jesus in his gospel is seen in how he is living. Geist was living consistent with the truth. Listen, Listen, the sum total of faithfulness to Jesus in his gospel is not the mere embrace of right doctrine, but faithfulness to the truth is also living consistent with the truth. In fact, John says in verse 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in truth. No greater joy? Really, John? Well, he's kind of resonating with James. When James wrote, well, someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. Faith apart from works is dead. We'll get to the specifics of what Geiss's walk looked like, but let's just pause for a moment and consider more broadly uh, how we might imitate Geis's walk in the truth. John says that he had no greater joy than to hear the testimony of how Gaius walked in the truth. Gaius' faith was not private. No, no, Gaius walked in the truth in such an apparent way that it could and was testified to. Did you notice that in verse 3? The brothers saw something that could be testified to John about. Demetrius was the same. He's the other commendable example to imitate. Look down at verse 12. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. Guys, Demetrius are commendable examples to imitate of, of a walk in the truth, That is apparent. Now listen, this is not practicing your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. Jesus condemns that in Matthew 6, 1. He says, if you do that, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. This this is not a a public show of religiosity so everybody will, whoo, that guy's super religious. This is the fact that you love Jesus so much and Jesus has transformed you so much that your private life is your public life and your public life is your private life. Do do you see it? So I think the question then to to ask of ourselves is, do, do I live in a manner consistent with the truth In such an apparent way that it could be testified to. It's been asked if we were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict? Would there be enough evidence to convict you? Is there enough evidence in your private life? Is there enough evidence in your public life? If you were on trial for being a Christian, that there'd be a conviction? Brothers and sisters, maybe for some, you are experiencing some conviction right now about a lack. I want to encourage you, don't, don't, don't resist that. Don't suppress that. Don't give that the stiff arm. That's the Holy Spirit at work. Bring about conviction to bring about repentance. This is also not a time for the whole pull up the bootstraps either. It's a time for reliance on the empowering presence of the Holy Spirit to propel us to live in ways consistent with the truth and in apparent ways that it could be testified to. God wants to help us do that. Okay, there's, there's more about Gaius for our imitation. Verse five, beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the truth. Stop, stop there. The, the brothers who are mentioned here are the same brothers who are mentioned in verse 3. Now, it's interesting because in verse 3, they testified to Gaius's fidelity in the truth, right? How he was walking in the truth. But here in verse 6, they're testifying to his love. And John says it's a faithful thing that he did. So, which, which is, it? is it? Is it truth or love, love? Love or truth? Well, the answer is they're testifying to the same thing. Gaius' Fidelity to the truth was his love for the brothers seen through his hospitality towards them. Did you see it? It's one testimony. Truth and love through hospitality. Brothers and sisters, we are not truth people to the chagrin of love, and we are not love people to to the void of truth. We are truth and love. No tension. Balance. Truth and love together. John ends verse 6 saying you would do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. Commentator Colin Cruz says the expression to send them on their way translates a form of just one verb which functioned as a technical term for missionary support in the early church. And this is also its function here. Now Starting in verse seven and through verse eight, John gives three reasons why Gaius should continue to show hospitality to these missionaries and send them on their way in a manner worthy of God. Three reasons. First, verse seven: for or because they have gone out for the sake of the name that is Jesus Christ. Acts four twelve says, speaking of Jesus, there is salvation in no one else. Because there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Or again, in Acts 5, verse 41, after the disciples were charged by a council of Pharisees to no longer speak in the name of Jesus, Luke records them leaving the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy dishonor, uh, to suffer this honor for the name. Oh guys, ought to continue to show hospitality to these missionaries and to send them on their way in a manner worthy of God because they went out not for their own sake but for the sake of Jesus. Second reason, middle of 7, these sent missionaries are accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Now, Gentiles can either mean everyone who is not ethnically Jewish or it can carry spiritual connotations that means unbeliever. And and that's what's going on here. In fact, maybe the translation that you have in your hand, like a a CSB or an NIV will actually say pagan here, because that's what John is trying to communicate, that they receive nothing from the unbelievers. The point was they did not receive anything from the unbelievers because they did not want to put any kind of stumbling block in the way for unbelievers to receive the salvation of free grace, now, the implication for Gaius was if believers don't support these, mission, uh, these missionaries, they'll have no support at all. And John makes this implication plain in verse 8. Therefore, that is, since they're not accepting support from unbelievers, we ought to support people like these. And then here's the final reason. Guys should continue to show hospitality and send these missionaries on the way in a manner worthy of God. That we may be fellow workers for the truth. As Gaius supported John's sent ministry, missionaries, he himself would become a fellow worker for the truth. You see that? He, he didn't leave home, <laughs> and yet to support John's sent missionaries meant that he became a fellow worker for missions in the advance of the gospel. Two implications for us now. first, There are not apostolically sent missionaries today since there are no longer apostles. But there are sent missionaries who are faithful to the truths of the gospel as preached by the apostles, and we ought to support them. Two, like Gaius, we may not be able to travel to a foreign land taking the gospel and doing missionary work, but when we support those who do with our prayer, with our finances, with our encouragement, indeed, maybe with our hospitality, we become fellow workers in the truth with them. Grace Bible's framework for missions engagement is mobilize, give, give, Pray, go, and welcome. There are many ways to be engaged in mission work beyond going. says hospitality is worthy of our imitation. But I'm not sure that most of us uh, in our modern Western culture think about hospitality the same way that the ancient Near East did and the early church did. I think for most... When we think about hospitality, it it brings uh, thoughts of entertainment, right? We're we're, we're entertaining neighbors, friends, just regular guests, co-workers, folks from church with a meal, good conversation, some some games, and hopefully a clean home. (laughs) In the Greco-Roman world, Historians say extending hospitality, which was mostly to strangers, was not a common or expected practice. But within the early church, hospitality was vital for the spread of the gospel. The gospel spread throughout the Roman Empire as the apostles themselves traveled around preaching the gospel, or as they sent disciples who they had trained traveling around preaching the gospel with letters in hand from the apostles. Either way, hospitality from fellow believers was imperative, absolutely required. You see, look, there were lots of ways to travel in the empire, but historians have noted that inns were not safe places to stay, especially for Christians. So it's not like the, the, the traveling missionary could just go stay at the local Holiday Inn. And since we already noted that these missionaries were not taking anything from unbelievers, hospitality from fellow believers was vital. Now, hospitality is kind of a two-way street, right? We're the only thing about the person that we're extending hospitality to, but there's also the host. And so Karen Jobes notes, because the practice of hospitality involves some risk for the host, because it entailed inviting strangers into one home, a letter of introduction from a mutual acquaintance was often written to put the host's mind at ease to avoid abuse of the practice. This is exactly why John writes an introduction to Gaius of Demetrius. Gaius didn't know Demetrius. He was a complete stranger. And so he needed, Demetrius needed a commendation from John. But but look, even with such a letter, there was still a need for discernment, like we talked last Sunday, and faith, because the letter could be a forgery. And there wasn't there wasn't Facebook to kind of like, oh, yep, there's a the person, and look at all the other people they know. There is a letter in hand. And so there's still a balance of discernment and faith. In the end, the reality was if Christians didn't extend hospitality to their own, no one would. The spread of the gospel depended on hospitality. And brothers and sisters, while John was specifically addressing hospitality uh, to traveling missionaries, the Bible is filled with commands for disciples of Jesus to show and extend hospitality. As disciples of Jesus, we are commanded to provide hospitality to strangers and especially those of the household of faith. In 3 John, hospitality is seen as an expression of walking in the truth and loving others. In 3 John, to imitate good is to show hospitality. In 3 John, hospitality is shown as vital to the spread of the gospel. There there is a moral, ethical, Virtuous nature to hospitality. It's not entertainment. Biblical hospitality is a form of discipleship. Hospitality, biblical hospitality is others focused, Christ exalting, gospel centered. In her book, The Gospel Comes with a House Key, Rosaria Butterfield writes, Those who live out radically ordinary hospitality see their homes not as theirs at all, but as God's gift to use for the furtherance of his kingdom. They open doors. They seek out the underprivileged. They know that the gospel comes with a house key. And she goes on to say, Practicing radically ordinary hospitality necessitates building margin time into the day—time where regular routines can be disrupted, not, not but not destroyed. This margin stays open for the Lord to fill—to take an older neighbor to the doctor, to babysit on the fly, to make room for a family displaced by a flood or a worldwide refugee crisis. Living out radically ordinary hospitality leaves us with plenty to share because we intentionally live below our means. The the gospel reminds us that we were once strangers, that we were once far off and outsiders. But through his hospitality, Jesus welcomed us in through one of his disciples sharing with us the truth and their walk in the truth. Guys' his love for Jesus and the advance of the gospel motivated him to do the uncommon and unexpected thing. And love for Jesus and his gospel ought to motivate us to do the same to warmly welcome, to draw near, to generously care for, to provide for the needs of, and to give safe refuge to those whom the Lord brings to us, especially to fellow Christians. Guys is worthy of our imitation. And yet I'd be remiss if I did not continue to point us to Jesus as our example of hospitality and our means for hospitality. Have you ever noticed that the free salvation that Jesus purchased at the cross is at times expressed in terms of hospitality? In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, 17, John records this. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, Come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. Or again, in John 14, two through three, John records uh, Jesus is saying, in my father's house are many rooms, for not so would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also, and let's be clear, the forever hospitality Jesus offers us is better than being invited to a place. Jesus' hospitality is an invitation to bring you to himself, into a relationship with him forever. That's hospitality. Jesus is our greatest and supreme example of hospitality. And not only that, Jesus now empowers us through the Holy Spirit to extend selfless, Christ-exalting, gospel-centered hospitality to others. All right, there, are, there they are. Two commendable examples. Now, there is one condemnable example of not walking the truth, Diotrephes. John speaks of him in verses nine through 10. Let's read those two verses. I've written something to the church, but Diatrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us and not content with that. He refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. So as I said earlier, John had written a previous letter, and he sent it to Diatrephes. That's why we think that he was probably also a leader in one of the house churches, because John wrote to him. But Diatrephes did not accept John's letter, most likely destroyed it. Now, John told guys that Diatrephes likes to put himself first, literally, that is, loves to have the highest rank or position. John Stott calls it like this, Diatrephes loved himself and wanted to have the preeminence. Diatrephes loved, craved leadership and authority. And in his love for his own authority, Diatrephes literally did not receive or welcome our authority. John says at the end of verse 9, our. You see, in John's mind, to reject one apostle is to reject all of them. Now, how is it that John knew this about Diatrephes and could make these type of judgments. Well, it's because John says that Diatrephes, he refuses to welcome the brothers. You see, just like the brothers came back and gave a good report about Gaius, the brothers also come back after having been rejected and seen the situation at hand, come back and tell John all that Diatrephes is up to. Well, John goes on then, because of their testimony, uh, John gives in verse 10 kind of some, an itemized list of all that Diatrephes is doing. So Diatrephes is talking wicked, evil and vicious nonsense against us. And he's considering it against all the apostles. In a word, slander and not content with slander. John records Diatrephes then as not welcoming the brothers. But what's worse, John said Diatrephes also stops those who want to welcome the brothers themselves. And what's more, Diatrephes puts those people out of the church. Well, let's just make this clear. Diatrephes is excommunicating people from the church who want to support John's sent ministry, uh, missionaries. In love with his own authority, Diatrephes is ridding any threat to his little kingdom of self. Now, two massive implications in his actions. First, by not welcoming John's sent missionaries, Diatrephes is putting at jeopardy the spread of the gospel. Remember these missionaries, they weren't accepting anything from unbelievers. The inns weren't safe places to stay. So by Diatrephes not showing hospitality to them, he was putting at jeopardy the spread of the gospel. Second, by not welcoming the teaching and authority of the Apostle John, Diotrephes was not welcoming the teaching and authority of Jesus. Jesus says in Luke ten sixteen regarding those. He sent out with the good news of the kingdom of God. He says this, the one who hears you hears me and the one who rejects you rejects me and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. This wasn't a mere rejection of John's teaching and authority. Diatrephes was rejecting the teaching and authority of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. When John tells Gaius, do not imitate evil, I mean, he's looking right at Diatrephes. Diatrephes is not an example of walking in the truth. Diatrephes is not an example of loving the brothers. Brothers and sisters, we, we must not refuse to welcome God's word as authoritative in our hearts in whole and in all its parts. We must not refuse to welcome God's word as authoritative in our hearts like diatrophies did not welcome John's word and authority. Look, like Diatrephes, whatever scripture we don't receive, it's not merely a rejection of Paul or Peter or John or Luke or whomever, it's a rejection of the teaching and authority of Jesus Christ. And I know there are some hard things in Scripture. There are things that do not conform to the culture, and it can be very tempting to not receive them. But listen, if we don't receive God's word as authoritative, We're not receiving Jesus himself. Jesus. Jesus affirms the Old Testament and it is Jesus who authorized the writing of the new in guys like John. What's more, the Holy Spirit empowered the biblical authors to write God-breathed words for us. Brothers and sisters, by God's grace, we need to, humbly, not put ourselves above God's word, but in humility we need to put ourselves underneath and submit ourselves to God's word as authoritative, as life-giving, as all sufficient for life and godliness. Every one of us is imitating. Every one of us is reflecting and imaging It's just our design. You're fooling yourself if you think you're not. The question isn't are you, the question is what or who are you imitating? Of course, the remaining sin in our hearts would have us imitate lesser things than God, and so we need God's help to kill our sin and to imitate the good, to imitate God. God empowers us through the indwelling spirit to do this. He has not left us on our own. There is grace from our heavenly father to do this. And in this letter, we've seen three examples even of walking the truth so we would not imitate evil but good. Look, modern life has conspired to isolate us and to make us strangers. But through the gospel, we've been welcomed into Jesus' community to welcome others into his community. Where we're called to show faithfulness to the truth by having a reputation for loving God and others, by welcoming the stranger that God puts in our path, both unbeliever and especially those in the household of faith. We're warned against the sin of diatriphes. We must humbly receive God's authority through the scriptures in our hearts. Let me end here with encouragement. I've been a part of this body for 12 years. I've been on staff for 11, been on the elder team for six. And I I just say that all to say is I had a front row seat to be able to testify to your walking into truth as seen through your hospitality. Every Sunday in the house of God, I get to see the way that you open up your arms Wide with a welcome to those that are made in the image of God, but folks that you don't know. I know many of you open your homes regularly to folks, indeed, strangers, people from foreign lands, and you welcome them in because Jesus has affected you in such a way that you want to show selfless, Christ exalting, gospel centered hospitality. I love this place and I love that our, we are so in love with Jesus and what we believe about Jesus has created a culture of welcome here. Amen. And so it is easy for me to say with John, it's my greatest joy to see you and us walking in the truth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word. We, we wouldn't know these truths if you hadn't preserved this letter for us. How amazing and awesome is that? And Father, just as we've been taught, I pray that you would help us to not leave these things here, but to take these things with, the, with us and to walk in them and live in the good of them. Father, would our belief and love in Jesus so transform the way that we live? Would our truths be tangible in our culture? And would our culture validate the truths that we believe? We need your help. We are in desperate need of your help, but trust in your promises for more grace. We love you, we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.